Hey guys, welcome to the Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. Today we're talking about the property market and very specifically the niche within that first home buyers. Are you a first home buyer or do you want to get a gauge on the property market and how it's responding to what the first home buyers are up to? We're also going to look at the lending practices of banks right now and the danger of being overstretched with leverage. We'll even give you a DNA game plan to make sure that there are two or three steps in there that you don't make the mistake of doing that could land you in a situation you don't deserve to be. It's great to see the market moving along. It's great to see first home buyers getting in there. Make sure you don't fall into the pitfalls that are there. And we'll cover those in the show. Hey guys, welcome to the Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter. And as always, my faithful outsider, Mr. Mitch Olorencho. Faithful I am Mr. Baxter. How are you? That's good. What do you got for us today, my friend? Well, we've got one of the all-time favorites, a topic that many of our clients have actually been asking us to cover, and that is the one, the only, the property market. Goodness me, the property market. I know, we've got plenty to cover today. We're gonna go into loans, deposits, banks, uh, everything, Mm. everything. So where, where do you start? That's the question. Well, it'd be pretty hard even for people like us that talk underwater to be able to cover the property market in 20 minutes. So let's take a snippet out of it. And I think a good place to start would be first home buyers. Yeah, we've got a lot of younger people that follow us uh, through our channels here. And let's give them some sage advice on, on what's going on in there. And it's actually a really topical area right now because that's probably one of the areas of the property market that's bubbling uh, away. Uh, and that's in the first home buyer space. So what are we seeing? Well, we're seeing a, a massive surge in first home buyers. Really? Mm, 9,600 new loans to first home buyers just in December. Just in December. Yeah. And what would that be valued at roughly? I think the figures from the RBA were something in the order of about $4 billion in loans. Wow. Uh, which equates to, what's that roughly, about what, four hundred and thirty, four hundred twenty thousand dollars $420,000 loans roughly? Something like that. Wow, know, mm. wow. Bit different from the average, that's the average. Obviously that varies from Sydney yeah. to Sydney. So for anyone joining us in either Sydney or Melbourne, uh, you're probably looking at closer to 700,000 mm-hmm. and 600,000 in, in, in Melbourne respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but huge, huge surge and massive sales going way past what reserves are, which is the concerning thing. And that's what we want to get into today. Absolutely, I mean, there's a couple of scary statistics in there. So what is it? I mean, what's caused this? Why has it gone gangbusters all of a sudden? I don't know. I mean, let's talk about some of the factors. I think the, the, the big ones specifically uh, is probably bank lending policy. And okay. I guess there's a caveat before we start. We're not anti-property. Yes, our core business is the stock market. I love property. I've got millions in the property market. It's made me a lot of money. It's made my family a lot of money. Um, so we're not anti-property. What's really great, let's start off with the positive. Okay. What's really great from my perspective is seeing first home buyers get in the market. Absolutely. And that means they've taken money that was in cash or other assets and they've committed it to an asset. And hats off to anybody that makes that decision. That first rung on the property ladder is, without question, the most important. Well, as we all know, you can't have your money sitting in cash, right? We cover that a whole no. podcast on asset allocation. Absolutely. And whether it's in the stock market, property market, the fact that that money is going into something is is, is crucially important. The question exactly. is, of course, how to choose where to put that money. Is it the right place? Uh, because I guess, you know, from a first home buyer's perspective, let's talk about, about what's going on in the investment space. First of all, investment, Lending has actually slowed down massively. Okay. Um, the banks uh, introduced a tighter lending criteria, 20% minimum deposit for an investment property. Uh, about 30% of the property lending at the moment is in the investment space. So that's really slowed down quite considerably. And so you wonder where that thrust that we're seeing, that recovery that we're seeing in the, in the southern states has really come from. And, and as a word of caution, um, Markets very rarely go up and then just suddenly drop. There's usually a couple of warning signs, and whether that's a property market or whether it's the stock market, you normally see a pullback, 
and then a blow off it's called and then boom down she comes okay so we've had you know markets now particularly in sydney we're back at those highs of two years ago so we had a bit of a sell down things slowed down sure things have started to pick back up again many people are saying well that's the correction in the property market out of the way and without being alarmist and, and just calling it as i see it as an economist as someone who's a market professional around the stock market and and other asset classes I think that's probably a precursor to a bigger problem that's Ooh, coming down the, the storm line. is brewing. I think so, and, and and you know, looking at some of the statistics, uh, particularly, and the numbers don't lie, but also the sentiment, the, the the fact that buyers are paying so much more over a reserve price shows how much competition there is out there, and I believe that perhaps one of the drivers for that is this fear of missing out, FOMO. FOMO. And, and if you've been out of the property market and you see it run and run and run, and you're thinking, well, it's had the pullback, it's starting to recover, this is the confirmation I'm looking for, just like we would with the stock. Sure. Um, better now than never, because it's moving away from me. And if I don't get set now, I'm never going to be able to afford to get into it. Which we both know is not true. Mm. Wow. So how do you choose the right time? I mean, if, 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 you know, if we're waiting all the time for the market to crash and then for us to buy cheaper, how long are we going to be waiting for? Well, let's take a step back from that and talk about perhaps some things that could or should be happening to ensure that the market doesn't get stretched past where it is right now and, and, and is more orderly so it doesn't have as much hot air in there. I sure. also think, we haven't talked about coronavirus yet, but I think that slowdown in the Chinese economy is going to slow down foreign buying in the Aussie market. And I'm not a fan of foreign buying in the property market. It creates a distorted bubble, which we've seen very, very clearly in the major cities. Uh, that's a separate issue. Maybe we'll cover that another time. But looking very, very specifically at some of the things that could be going on, um, the, the increase in deposit required in the investment space, I think is good. 20% is okay. I think it should be higher. I think maybe 30, 35% is the minimum deposit for an investment property. Sure. If we're serious about taking some of this hot air out of the market, and the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, has got a very tricky job. And they're not doing a great job of it either. Their job is to try and keep the economy growing, have some level of inflation, have full employment, have the currency within bands. And it's not really meeting any of those Inflation isn't where it should be. The dollar certainly not. We just saw the dollar drop this week to, uh, to, to, to a, a recent low, a decent low. Um, and, and the RBA are sort of scrambling, do we cut rates again? To what end? And we've talked about this previously with regard to the state of the Aussie economy. A cut in interest rates isn't going to stimulate the economy. It's just going to add further fuel to an already overvalued property market. A tax cut, on the other hand, would likely do a lot more in terms of stimulating the economy. But let's focus on property right now and, sure. and, and lending. Right now, you can buy a property as a first-hand buyer with a 5% deposit. So when you really think about that, okay, people need a start, um, but 5% is too lean a deposit. That is ludicrous. Mm. That's a really small amount. I mean, it, it's crazy. Crazy. Uh, and it's not to say that by increasing the amount of deposit, it's going to preclude first-hand buyers from getting in the market. Not, not that at all. It's going to stop them paying too much for something in the marketplace, and it starts to bring things back to equilibrium. Market forces, stock market, property market, exactly the same. Supply and demand is what sets price. And if you've got people that are fueled with an ability to gear up to 95% LVR, they can borrow much more than I personally think is safe. Sure. And as a consequence, they can bid more at an auction or pay more for a property. We need that market to come back to a level that's affordable. Mm. So let's work through the numbers. Okay. Um, yeah, let's say we're talking about Melbourne. Your first time buyer, $600,000 is what you're putting down. Seems reasonable. 5% deposits, 30 grand. Wow. Okay, so that means you're borrowing 570,000, which suddenly seems a lot compared that's, to a 30 grand deposit. When you really break it down, you realize, wow, that's mm. a lot of borrowed money, that's a lot of debt. Yeah, and we're not talking about stamp duty in here either. I mean, for those people in South Australia, it's up to 5%. Crazy. crazy. So you, you've got your 30 grand deposit. 
Now that means you borrowed 570 and at current interest rates, uh, if you're on, I think I looked at one of the loan rates today for first time buyers, three and a three quarter percent loan for the first five years, it's gonna cost you about $3,650 a month to service that. Now you might look at it and go, well, yeah, three and a half grand, I can probably do that. But let's just be really blunt about this for a moment. If over your whole life, you've managed to save a whopping 30 grand, which is about nine months repayment on your mortgage, how the heck are you going to then suddenly <laughs> convert from being a, uh, you know, you, you don't have a demonstrable history of saving if no. you actually get 30 grand. And look, again, I don't mean this to sound condescending. I remember the first house I bought uh, in London uh, and what I had to script together to try and get in there. It's not easy, but you have to have those defined habits of saving to build up that deposit. And why? Because the bank can look at your ability to service that loan. So why are the banks giving out these loans at just 5% deposit, for example? I think the banks have been under immense pressure to try and make profit in a more legitimate manner than they've mm. done in the past. I mean, look at the Royal Commission, let's not go there. Um, but you know, their conduct has been unconscionable in terms of effectively thieving from clients. Absolutely. Overcharging and so on and so forth. So they've got a, a lot of pressure on to try and make money and they need to have an active market. Now, it's not just the banks that are at fault here. It's not a bank bashing session that would be a waste of everyone's time tuning into this. It'll be too easy to do. But the reality is, if you've only been able to save 30 grand and you've got to be able to pay out $3,600 a month, that means you've been able to accumulate nine months of mortgage payments over your lifetime. Now, you may have been renting, so clearly your rent might be a factor in there as well. But if you look at the average rent people pay, depending on the city, maybe 650, but if you're paying a mortgage, it's 900, 950 a week, that particular figure works out to be. Where's that $350 shortfall coming from? It just doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. And I know we're gonna chat about something that's probably even scarier than that, mm. and that is the first home buyer's grant. So mm. let's use this example specifically. So we've borrowed 570, we've saved up 30. Yeah. Now the first home buyer's grant technically could actually cover that 30 grand. Is that right? That's right. There are some lenders that will allow you to use your first home buyer's grant as part of your deposit, which is unconscionable. It's not, and again, the thrust of this conversation isn't about discouraging. We're so happy to see people not holding cash and getting into any market and, and, and getting a start in life. Everyone deserves that. Um, but the challenges that are being set up for failure with this in that you've got a scenario where if you've got to use your first home buyer grant, your 10 or 20 grand to go in as a deposit to get that property, A, you haven't saved enough, you don't deserve to be in the property market, full stop. And secondly, is it really prudent for the bank to lend you something on that basis when a good chunk of whatever your deposit may be has come from a government subsidy? And that's just, again, wrong. And again, they're the sorts of things that help propel markets past what their fair value is because there's a ten dollars or $20,000 first home buyer tax effectively on a first home buyer property. It's free money, it's from the government, people will spend it. And that's not going into the economy, that's going to the pockets of the developer or the seller of the property. Absolutely. I mean, people are always going to borrow more than what they, the most they can. So if you've got thirty grand saved up, you add in your first home buyer's grand. Now you've got 50 times by a 95% LVR, you can do you some damage. You can do some real damage. Mm. And the problem is, and I know you and I have spoken about this plenty of times is that you know if we have a correction or we do have a market crash in property what actually happens at just five percent well there are two really broad factors there the, let's talk about the two biggest risks and again this isn't to be negative it's just being eyes open as we are with our trading and it's the same with the property market if you are geared up to the hilt and you can barely afford to service your mortgage but it's been ticked off you can do it and we get a rise in interest rates for example 
you know, the first time by a landmine might be 3.75%. Let's say that rate moves to 5%, which is easily done. And that's principal and interest, of course. That ratchet up of what your uh, repayments are going to be is beyond what your serviceability is likely to be, not only based on your track record of history of absence or, or limited amounts of saving, but also if we go through a, a recession, how much wage growth, and we're seeing no wage growth now anyway. Sure. Um, so, you know, where's your job security, where's your wage growth coming from on that side? So that's on the actual paying off the loan. Rising interest rates, job security, two massive factors. Sure. On the other side of the equation is the situation where if we see a big pullback in the property market, and I saw this firsthand with my cousin in the UK, 1992 or thereabouts. Um, yeah, he was in the same situation where the banks had geared up and allowed him to borrow to buy his first place. Property market dropped. Uh, he was in a position where he's financially strapped. He was in a negative equity position whereby the value of the property was quite considerably less than what he paid for it because he'd got in at an overblown level in the market. Sure. FOMO driving him in the UK in the 90s. That was exactly what was going on. And he was unable to service his mortgage. He lost his house. He lost his deposit. Your credit ref record is done. You've got a shortfall that you're going to have to pay back to the bank over time or you're going to get bankrupted. There's a whole catast catastrophe in the making that rolls along on the back of that. And for my mind... Yeah, we're all about making sure our clients are protected from risk as much as is possible. And to see banks writing loans at 95% LVR to first home buyers is unconscionable. It's just the wrong process. Absolutely. That deposit needs to be higher. And they might go, well, that stops me getting in the market. Well, it probably won't stop you getting in the market. It'll just stop you getting in the market where you think you might want to buy. There's going to be something that's affordable somewhere else. And, and again, uh, that massive emotional connection that people have with property because it's a tangible asset versus a share which is just a paper asset sure you know i, I want to live in this suburb or, or this apartment building or on this street but that often comes at a premium and sometimes you've got to buy where you can afford and that's exactly in, in my first property transaction i did buy where i could afford and it wasn't necessarily where i wanted to live but it turned out to be an incredibly good investment it was an up-and-coming area and when it popped made a lot of money. You need a place to live, right? You have to have a place to live, that's right. So, you know, first cab off the rank, your first priority as a first homeowner isn't necessarily buying a place where you want to live, it's where you can afford. Sure. And that basis of affording should be on a more um, uh, chunky, at least 10% deposit, I would say. You know, we, we were kicking the can around a little earlier, you know, back in my parents' time, way back uh, <laughs> in time, um, you know, you used to be able to borrow three and a half times your salary. Mm. Uh, and you didn't have the situation where you had negative equity or, or people in a mortgage delinquency because their lending was far more prudent than sure. But now we're so free and easy, we'll lend you anything to buy anything. Um, yeah, it's a scary, it's a ticking time bomb, I think, for down the track. And, and unfortunately, the people that will suffer from that are the people that are doing exactly the right thing now, and that's getting started in the market. And, and, and this is the crushing thing about winning the game of money. Yeah, the rules, most people don't even know what the rules are. And for those people getting into that property market for fear of it maybe getting away from them better now than ever, great, better to be started than not started. But the rules of the game are dictated by the lenders and by virtue of the fact that they're lending you at 95% LVR, even 90% LVR loan to value ratio, you're buying 90% of the value of the property, putting down 10 or sure. 25, putting down five, is setting you up for failure long term because yeah. your debt level is gonna to be too high. If rates go up, it's gonna be almost impossible to service. And ultimately, who stands to repossess those properties? The ultimate beneficiaries, if the property market drops, of course, are the banks that will repossess those properties and have them at whatever they've got the security on there. Yeah, and, and look, it all seems doom and gloom, but let's flip it on its head. Mm. And let's do a bit of a case study. Let's say you're a first home buyer, you've got 100 grand saved up because you've actually saved a good amount. 
yeah, applause to that. You're not after paying your house, you're actually saving it. What would you do? I mean, would you borrow, you know, how much amount? Would you wait? What would be your game plan? Well, here's something scary. If you saved up a hundred grand, you can borrow two million, which is which is ludicrous. Based on an LVI, you've got to have the serviceability behind sure. it. Sure. But you know, the big temptation is to borrow as much as you can, and I'd always give yourself a haircut. Yeah, and again, this isn't to 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 live in a miserly world of being playing it safe. But to win the game of money, you've got to survive. Mm-hmm. It's not just about going for the, the the long shot and hoping it comes off. It, it's a long term process, and to survive that, I think if you've got the ability, to, let's say in the example you've given, you've got the ability, you've got a hundred grand saved up, which means you can probably borrow another eight nine hundred thousand. Sure, I'd be more conservative. I'd drop it down and I'd borrow less than that, and know that I've got that comfort of serviceability, for the simple reason that if, if you are someone that's a prolific saver, and that's a rarity these days to to get that amount in get that mortgage paid down at big chunks. And I've given this exact advice to my sister-in-law. She's a nurse, she's not on a huge salary. Uh, she's been in nursing now for 10 years. She's, she's got quite a senior role and she's earned every, every cent of what she does as most people in, in that profession do. And, and the advice I've given her uh, with her apartment uh, is to every time you pull a shift of overtime or you've got a couple of extra days where you've taken a roster on, get that money and pay it immediately off the principal in your loan. And that's yeah. exactly what she's been doing. I'm so proud of what she's done because she's gone from someone that's not in a high paying job to be in a very, very good position. She's got a great apartment. She's in Main Beach, which is one of the most desirable Beautiful. suburbs on the Gold Coast. She's done everything the right way and she will reap the long-term rewards of that because she's playing a longer term game. And she could quite easily take that money from the shifts and buy a different car. Uh, and do other things with that money, but she's playing it smart because she's playing it at a higher level in terms of what she wants to achieve out of her life. And, it, and it's it's rare you find people that take on board that advice and follow through and do it. And she could go and stretch herself further, but she's building in that safety net. So she doesn't live in a stressed environment. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, okay, and that's a really good example. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say, so you've got the 100 grand, how much would you be looking to borrow? What would be, you know, your estimate? Say $500,000 property, 600, how, what? What would be your maximum? Yeah, I, I would play it safer because um, I would say, you know, I wouldn't probably go over six or seven hundred thousand. Assuming, of course, depends on which which city we're talking about. I okay. mean, Sydney, you're not necessarily get out no. for that. Uh, and, and the simple reason being, if it's your primary place of residence, you go from it, and, and this is the, the the blurring of the lines. Most people now see their primary place of residence as their major investment, which it should be. It's tax free. There's no capital gains on any gains you make. Sure. So you think, well, the bigger gain I can make. Uh, well, uh, that's better for me. So I'll gear up and have a bigger property because a 10% return on a million dollar property is better than a 10% return on a 700,000. Absolutely. But the balance up is there's more risk by being taken to that level as well. So I would look at it firstly from a utility point of view, does it suit your needs uh, for the next period of time? And I've always bought property in a way and I I still do and it drives my wife nuts with this. Um, I will always buy with a view to where I'm expecting it to go so that we can pull some gain from it. It's not just a lifestyle decision of wanting to live in a specific place. And there are opportunities that I've missed uh, in doing that and having that mindset perhaps where, you know, on occasion it doesn't always work out. But on balance, it's been very good to do that where you go, okay, we'll compromise stretching to something um, that's, that's beyond what's serviceable in favor of something that gives us utility but has that tailwind. And that goes back to exactly what we do in the stock market. We're always looking for stocks that have got a tailwind to push them along. 
uh, to give you that ability to get the lift. And that's the advice I'd give someone who's looking in the property market. Don't buy right at the top of the market. Buy something that's got the potential to move up. It's tax free gains and it's so rare that you can have that kind of uh, conversation with anybody in, in a high-tech country like Australia and if you play the game that way over time it will work for you. Um, if you're playing the game from an investor's perspective and, and we're just talking about first home buyers principal place of residence right now um, then the rule book is different and that's why we can't cover property just in a, a 20 odd minute conversation like this because there are so many facets. Absolutely. So from a first home buyer's perspective I wouldn't overgear. I will get that debt paid down more quickly. And the advantage to that, if you are someone that does have aspirations for growing out a property portfolio, is that you know, you've got equity in that property to potentially use uh, as a backstop for a further investment down the track in a different type of structure. I'm not a big fan of cross-collateralization. That's very dangerous in the investing space, and we'll no doubt deal with that in a separate, uh, separate cover. But get that mortgage paid down mm. and build that equity up in your primary place of residence in the first instance. And then maybe when you've got genuine equity in there, then you can move into that next level and move on. And, and, and look, ultimately, Mitch, and, you know, it seems so long ago when we, we, we talked about you know, people's goals for the new year. If you set your goals for the right reasons, they're solid goals. And if you set them for the wrong reasons, maybe they're not. And, and quite often, people will buy things, whether it's a car or whether it's a property, not just for what their needs are, but because of the way other people will see and go, oh, they're doing really well, what a great place and all the rest of it. You shouldn't live your life living and, and, and desiring other people's opinion and validation. If you want to do that, just set up an Instagram account. It's free. <laughs> you know, and you're, you're not going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt to do that. You, you can make good money out of Instagram You can make days. great money out of Instagram. One of my neighbors does very well out of it. Wow. Um, but the reality is your decision-making should be what's right for you. And I'll go back to some advice I got from a, a mentor of mine a number of years ago. You know, Give away the good opinion of other people and do what's right for you and your family unit and everything else will take care of itself. But when we start to go, oh, well, wouldn't it be better to live in this place? It's a flasher apartment uh, or, or, or it'd be cool to be there because it's really funky or whatever. And their friends are there. It, it's not necessarily the right reason. You know, and on the subject of apartment, don't even think about just the uh, repayments. Don't forget you've got the body corporate and owners Absolutely. to come out of that as well. So, yeah, there are a lot of things to be very, very minded of choosing a house over a, a unit versus multi-dwelling. There are plenty of things to, to consider in that. But don't overgear would be my advice, particularly where we are in this market cycle. It's really frothy and it's had a great recovery, but the Australian economy is very much one-eyed and it's being driven by the property market right now because nothing else is firing. And that's a very, very vulnerable position to be in. And I would hate for anybody that's done all the right things, saved up money, took an action step, bought into the market to get caught out by bad timing or worse, still unscrupulous or immoral lending on the part of the bank. Mm. And look, I think that's a golden piece of advice there, that whole string of those comments. Mm. Is this what we chat to our clients about in financial planning? I know we have, we have that financial planning offshoot to mm. our business. Mm. Is this the same advice we give those guys? But within financial planning, it's very different. This is one to many. You know, thousands of people listen to this show and financial planning is one-to-one -one where it's personal advice. It's tailored to you and your specific circumstance. So you know, depending on your attitude to risk uh, and, and various things, that will dictate the nature of the advice it's given. So this is kind of a, a one-size-fits-all little snapshot because we're talking to thousands of people. Sure. Um, so it is slightly different, much more personalized in there. It's certainly worth uh, going down that pathway. And equally, you know, if you're someone that's already in the property market, um, have a chat with our financial planning team and see what we can do in terms of refinance because you know, the chances are, and this is actually a statement of fact rather than opinion, the RBA are now publishing every month um, and they're calling it the loyalty tax on the part of the banks. Now, this isn't a bank bashing session. It just happens to be another statement of fact. <laughs> um, 
And that is that if you're an existing customer of a bank and maybe you've had your mortgage for seven, eight, nine years with the bank, you can practically guarantee that you'll be on a higher lending rate than someone that's just walked in the door right now. That's crazy, why? Well, I think rather like the insurance, people look to buy market share by offering a more attractive offer okay. on the front end to get people in. But isn't loyalty something that you should reward? And, and, and so taking that time out to have a look at, well, now we're talking about it, insurance or, um, or, or your credit, your finance, have a chat with that team because I'd be pretty sure we can save you some money there and savings is good as a profit. Absolutely, and I love that saying. It's one of my absolute favorites. <laughs> AB, look, we are coming to the end of the broadcast um, and it's been a pleasure, but I just want to get that last call to action as we always do with every episode for a first home buyer that's got a deposit maybe ready in their bank account they've worked hard to say, mm. what's their game plan? Yep, I think the game plan, look around. If the bank's prepared to lend you more, drop that number down so that your expert, if the bank says, well, look, we'll let you buy up to 700,000, set yourself a budget of 600 or 650 because you're always going to need more money than you think for furnishing and then the various fees that go around a, a, a transaction like property. Um, also factor in your underscore fee. So try and use less than what you can just because someone's prepared to give you a facility up to here. Take a haircut on that because that haircut, think of it as a peace of mind uh, move to make sure that you're not overly stretched because living under financial duress is no fun. Uh, and, and, and heaven forbid, if we go through a tough time and people are overgeared, you see people commit suicide because of the financial stress they're under. And that's a really extreme thing to say, but that's the reality of what can happen all because there's been free and easy credit where people have overborrowed. They've done nothing wrong. First home buyers aren't necessarily doing anything wrong. They're just using, they're trying to play a game with a set of rules that's designed by a third party. And that third party doesn't necessarily have their best interest at heart. They want to write lots of loans, they want lots of mortgage insurance, and they want lots of transactions, which is not necessarily all totally congruent with the needs of a first home buyer, which is someone that's going to say, don't ever borrow, get yourself started in the market, set yourself a goal of building some equity and trade up once you're in that market. Absolutely. And the government's simply adding fuel to the fire by allowing a first home buyer grant to go into a deposit. If you have my opinion on it, seeing as you've asked me, I would say, look, you've got to settle on the property so that you've shown your ability to get finance under your own steam. And on the day of settlement, that first home buyer grant can then come in as a top up and a kick off of your uh, principal to reduce your lending. Now that would be prudent because it's having the net same effect, but with a more prudent uh, lending element, I suppose. But that needs APRA and, and the RBA to lay out some very stringent guidelines to our banks to make sure that they play ball as well. Wow, absolutely. AB, absolutely been a pleasure to get your advice. And I think there's, there's so many good points in there, especially for young people trying to get their skin in the game. Well, you are right now. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I found this really valuable to me. I'm, I'm going to write some notes down, I think, and, and take that away from myself. Good man. Always a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, AB. Cheers. Well, guys, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, make sure you leave us a review and some feedback and a rating. It's always good to get that to know that we're on point, and we'll look forward to chatting with you again.